you're just getting here with us, we've, the last couple of weeks we've been uh, introducing John. We started in John 1 uh, last week. The Gospel of John is available to you out on the table out there. So uh, make sure you pick it up. Two ways to do that. Number one is to have it with you where you can be reading the Gospel. Uh, every, every week I'll, I'll give you... Um, uh, where we'll be. So we'll be like in John 2, uh, the beginning part of that next week. Uh, today we're finishing the last part of John chapter 1. But we also, uh, I'd ask you to commit together to help me to saturate our area with the gospel of John. So those are not just for you. You can pick those up and distribute them. Uh, I encourage you to take some time in the gospel so that you could use it as an opportunity to witness or to encourage somebody uh, in your life. So those are available. Uh, they will not run out. You just take all that you want, but just make sure you give them away. Don't put them in your glove compartment or in the back seat somewhere and then not use them. Uh, give them away. Use them as an opportunity uh, to witness uh, to the people that are around you. So we are, uh, we spent last week uh, talking about the seven wonders of uh, John chapter one, verses one through 18. It was phenomenal. Uh, the opportunity for us to, to see uh, what Jesus was saying uh, to us. Today, uh, this message is called Following Jesus. And so when you get to verse 19, uh, we begin to see a, a Christ talking to us about those that were witnesses or those that were following. Uh, John 1 through 1, 1 through 18 was the prologue to John's gospel. And we saw how the word uh, has become flesh that we might believe in him and receive him. And so we become children of God and receive uh, the grace of God. And to receive all this from God through faith in Christ means that we truly and actually trust Christ personally. You know, this is not just a corporate decision or a worldwide decision that we make about Christ. It's very personal very intimate, uh, our own commitment to him, putting our faith in Christ directly. And so we're introduced to Jesus and we choose to become, choose to become his follower. Uh, John 1, 19 to 51 uh, highlights the, this priority of that decision and introducing us to a witness, John the baptizer, and also to Jesus' first disciples or first followers. Uh, and Jesus invited them to come and see. Uh, they did. Have you? Have you personally and without reservation decided to follow Jesus? You know, the, the Word of God encourages us about uh, humility our focus on Christ, and we see that happening uh, in, in the presentation of this man, John uh, the Baptist, or John uh, the Baptizer. You know, Jesus recommended that we know him. He recommended him because he said, John is greater than any other person that ever lived. Even the least important person in the kingdom is greater than John. What's he talking about? He's saying that this one that came as a witness that, you know, when you hear about somebody and you hear a recommendation about somebody, you know, if it's somebody that is really saying something positive about them, we might like to know about that person. Well, we certainly should know about a person that Jesus recommended uh, that we should know. And so we are, uh, we are doing that together. Um, this, this passage of Scripture, this whole section in John 1, talks about two things. It talks about the witness, and it talks about the followers. 
the witness and the followers. The witness is John the baptizer. Now, I call him John the baptizer because I know the Bible says John the Baptist. But see, you get mixed up because you think he's talking about John the Southern Baptist or the American Baptist or the, you know, whatever the the group. Uh, That's not what it meant. He was called John, and the description was because of what he was doing. John the baptizer. He was baptizing people uh, in, in that area. Uh, he was, uh, had drawn followers, so he had, a, he had a great group with him. So that's, that's kind of the background. Now, notice which John we're talking about. Now, some of you that maybe haven't spent as much time in the Word, that maybe this is the first time you really kind of dove into the Gospel of John, you got to remember that there's, there's a variety of Johns. Um, John that, that is writing this book is the disciple John the one that was called. James and John were brothers. They were fishermen. They worked with Andrew and Peter in their business. Their dad was a fisherman, and so they are called. And so he's the writer of this gospel. He was one of the 12 that followed Christ. He not only wrote this gospel, but he wrote the three letters that we call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote, wrote the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that's that's that John. Well, when the Bible mentions another John, he's talking about John the Baptist uh, in this section here, and he shows up in John chapter 3 as well. Uh, so he's, uh, he's the one that was the witness that came to be presented, because you can kind of get the, the clarity about which John. Now, what's the, what's, what is it about this man? Just a little background about uh, this man that was sent from God, John the baptizer. Uh, his parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, they were, uh, Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, um, the Mary that was the virgin Mary that uh, Jesus, his mother. And so uh, we meet them in the gospel of Luke chapter one. He was a priest served in the temple And so John, the baptizer, and Jesus were cousins. Uh, And John is described as a man that lived in the desert, dressed wildly. I don't know how that would compare today, but he dressed in camel's hair. And, uh, you know, so he was kind of a wild-looking guy. He preached sort of a fire and brimstone style. Do you relate to that at all? I mean, he, he was just telling people that you repent or you're going to hell. I mean, that was, that was his message uh, to the people. And uh, he is called by God, sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, we sometimes call him the forerunner. He's the one that's out in front laying the pathway out in preparation uh, for Jesus to come. Now, John has a very common name, but was a very uncommon uh, man. He was human, uh, but not ordinary. Uh, he was very, John, the Bible tells us, was a man sent from God. Last week, verse 6 of chapter 1, we saw there was a man sent from God whose name uh, was John. Now, John was no angel. He was not, uh, you know, just a, a divine man. He was a man, a human man. Nothing really significant of, about him, had a, just a plain, regular name. He didn't have a name like Emmanuel or Jesus uh, that, ha- that was just filled with meaning. He's just ordinary. I'm not saying if your name is John, you're 
your ordinary. I'm just saying it's just a common name, right? Uh, and John so has a very common name, but he wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a Levite. Uh, he didn't look like, uh, you know, a prophet or a priest. He certainly didn't smell like a saint. I mean, he lived out in the desert. He was isolated alone, but he's called of God. So this is the man uh, that is serving as the witness. So what is it about him? Uh, I gave you several ways to think about him. John, John was a lamp. Jesus is the light. John was the lamp and Jesus uh, is the light. You see those words? Uh, he says, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. One of the things that you know about John that I think is helpful to us is there were several things that he knew. First of all, you'll see that he knew who he was. That is really helpful, isn't it? It is helpful to figure out in your life who you are. We sometimes get all mixed up because John not only knew who he was, he knew who he was not. You know, it's helpful for you to realize that you're not God. You know, sometimes the devil tries to trick us into thinking that we can be God. We can be our own God, that we can live our own life. But we are called to be witnesses of the light of Christ shining in us, recognizing who we are and who we're not. And then the third thing I noticed about John was that he knew who Jesus was. Uh, you'll see that throughout this, this section here. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the lamp. Uh, Jesus was the light. Uh, he was not, he was like the wick. He was not the flame. He, the true light that lightens every man in the world was Jesus. And so John saw himself as the one share. You know, uh, you got some lamps at your house. I've seen some weird lamps. No, not at your house, at that other house I went to, you know, but they, they got all these lamps, you know, people got these swag lamps and they got all, all these big old lamps that curl, you know, we got brass lamps and crystal lamps and all that, you know, and I always, I always see these lamps, but the truth is that the, the lamps are nice decorative pieces, but they have one purpose, really. Their purpose is to bring light to the room. Uh, the, the emphasis is about the light. You know, the question becomes um, for us as we think about John is, are you a lamp? Are you a light? Are you trying to be the light or is the light of Christ shining through you like a lamp? That is John. That's what his witness was for us. There's another way of thinking about John. John was a voice. Jesus was what? The word. We saw that last time. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. John was a voice. Jesus is the word. Now, I'll read this scripture for you in John 1, 19 through 23, and you'll begin to realize uh, that people are asking questions about who is John? Did he know who he was? Did he know who he wasn't? Now, this is John's testimony. We sang about that. That was awesome, wasn't it? Uh, John's testimony. You have a testimony. John had a testimony. His testimony was when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? 
He answered, no. You notice how his, his answers get shorter. You know, he's, I think he's a little frustrated with them. Why do you keep asking me that? I'm not anybody special. I'm pointing toward him. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. All of those things reflect a, a, a belief about who the Messiah was going to be, that even the, the recoming of Elijah. Finally, they said, who are you? They just ask him directly. Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice. I am the voice of the one of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So John says, uh, I'm the voice. Uh, you know, what, what is this about? Uh, his voice becoming the one making straight the way of the Lord. It's a quote from Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3. And the imagery there is of a, of a time when they didn't, they didn't have roads. You know, they would just kind of go across fields and you know, travel. It was very difficult. But when a, when a king or a dignitary was going to take a chariot and was going to go somewhere, people would come out in front of him, and they didn't send the king's chariot across some muddy field for him to get stuck in. They had somebody come out in front of them and lay out a path, clear the road, make it smooth, make level paths. The Bible uses that phrase. That's what John was doing. John is saying, I'm opening the roadway ahead of us. Um, that Isaiah passage says, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. Let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. You can see what's happening. John is trying to clear the path. You know, sometimes Maybe you feel this way when you're reading the Bible, maybe reading the Gospel of John. Sometimes you've got to get the path clear so that you can really get it. Right? You know, you read the Bible and, um, you know, you maybe read a little bit. I can't, I'm not sure I understand that. And then you kind of go your way. You know, you've got you to get stuff out of the way. You've got to let Christ kind of clear the path so that you can receive what the Spirit of God is. One of, are, are you with me in this room today? You know, that, that's why it's such a hesitation sometimes that maybe you even come to a service like this and wonder, you know, and what is everybody feeling or what's really happening? God is speaking, but you, you got to do a little work. You got to clear the path. You be like John the Baptist. I'm making the path clear so that the spirit of God can speak into my heart and into my life. You, you notice what we're doing in this series, right? We're just kind of talking and applying. We're learning and then we're applying as, we're, as we go right along here. So apply that uh, as you're reading the word. John says, I was uh, the voice and, I, and he's the word. I'm clearing the path for him. John was, uh, the next one is that John was useful but not indispensable. Remember, he realized who he was. He was not the Messiah. He realized uh, who he wasn't, that he wasn't uh, all these things that people were asking about. He wasn't the prophet. He wasn't the Messiah who had come. He was the voice in the wilderness, and he was useful, but not indispensable. Notice, now the Pharisees who had, sent, had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or the Elijah or a, the prophet? I baptize with water. John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John uh, was baptizing. Um, John's humility is shown through, through this passage here. As he's opening, he's recognizing that God is using him, but he's the humble servant, uh, recognizing that he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. I mean, that was the lowliest job uh, of a servant is to, uh, to take off those sandals. Isn't it interesting that in the book of John, we're going to see Jesus taking off sandals and washing feet later on. You can see that, that symbolism uh, that's there. Recognizing that God was using him, but John was willing to stoop to the lowest level to serve Christ because he knew who he was and he knew who he was not. But most importantly, he knew who Jesus was. Are you willing to serve your God? To give yourself to him? To even to take whatever lowly opportunity might be given to you? Because you know who he is and you know who you are. John the Baptist was a witness. Um, that's the last phrase there. John was a witness but not one to be worshipped, not one to be worshipped. He recognized who Jesus was. It says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then God, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You notice that he, John, uh, John knew who Jesus was. He knew about his presence. He says, I baptize with water, but there's one standing among you that has surpassed me. Did you know that John was a little older than Jesus? John was born about six months before. John was the cousin. He was kind of the older, but he says, oh, no, no. We're not talking about age difference. We're talking about who he is, that he has surpassed me. Uh, his presence uh, is with us in our midst. He recognizes his greatness. Uh, I can, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He recognized his nature. He was surpassing me because he was uh, before me. Uh, he says he's recognizing his power. He said, I'm baptizing you with water. It's really important, isn't it? Being baptized with water. We talk about that. Uh, there's kind of different ways of thinking about that, but recognizing that really what it says is something happened on the inside of me, and now they're going to soak me, saturate me with water as a reminder, as a demonstration of what God has done in me. That's powerful. That's meaningful. But John said that's nothing like being baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming and living inside of you. God inside our flesh living with us. And we become saturated with the Holy Spirit just like we become saturated with that water in, in baptism. He says, oh, oh, water baptism, incredible. But when the Spirit of God takes up residency, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's his power. That's what he is. He, John says, I can't accomplish that 
Only God uh, can accomplish that. Have, have you been baptized with water? Jesus lifted you. How many of you, you got soaked, right? Soaked all the way through. Yep. Um, I did. Uh, but I would ask you, are you saturated with the Holy Spirit? It's one thing to have an introduction to Jesus and to know him. But is he, is he leading your life? Is he guiding your life? Is he leading every aspect of you? Saturated, filled with the Holy Spirit. John knew who he was. He knew who he was not. But most importantly, he knew who Jesus was. That's our witness. Now, the second part of this, this section of Scripture deals with the followers. We have the witness, and then we have uh, the followers. Now, the, the followers are Jesus' first disciples, the calling of them. Uh, and we, uh, we have, there are actually five here. Uh, there are really four that are mentioned by name, uh, and I'll explain that in just a second. But there's this calling on, on their life. Now, here's, the, here's kind of the orientation of what's happening in this scripture. Uh, this passage is talking about the daily ministry of Jesus. He's just now beginning to call disciples. And you'll notice several times it'll say, the next day, and then the next day. And then the next, so this is a, this is an amazing week that, this, that Jesus is happening. He's moving around, uh, he's ministering to people and people are being called, uh, over and over verse 29, verse 35, verse 43, all of them mentioned the next day when you're reading your Bible, maybe you would circle those and recognize the time, uh, that's happening there. The passage we'll go to next week, uh, says, uh, when it was on the third day. And so you can kind of see what, uh, what's happening as Jesus moves into this next, uh, period of time, uh, with the, uh, the story of the water to wine. Um, this passage is very straightforward. Um, five people are mentioned. Uh, Andrew and John, uh, we'll mention all them. John's not listed by name there, but it's believed that he was one of the two disciples of John the Baptist that heard Jesus, heard Jesus uh, talked about through John the Baptist when he said, look, the Lamb of God. And those two disciples, Andrew and John, became followers of Jesus. And then we learn about Philip and Nathaniel that also are called here uh, in, in this scripture. And so we meet, the, we meet these men. John the Baptist is the witness, and now we have these men that have been called. So the first one uh, is Andrew. We'll just talk about Andrew. Andrew followed uh, Jesus. Now, as, as we look at these, what I'd like you to look at is to notice kind of what was the approach the, the, John, the apostle, is giving us this idea of how these followers chose to follow Jesus. There was like a way that they were approached. There was a method. And then there was a message that went along that they heard. And then there was a response on their behalf. Uh, you know, I'd like you to think about yourself while we're talking about that. We can see what happened to these guys. But you can also think about what happened to you. Or what might happen as you are a witness to others in your life. So we're kind of comparing here. So Andrew's the first one. Uh, uh, the first one that, that comes along. He and John the writer here heard John the Baptist say, Look, the Lamb of God that takes away uh, the sin of the world. And so it says... The next day, John was there with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist was there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked. Notice, first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. The first thing that Jesus says is, what do you want? Now, I don't know what kind of tone of voice that had. Uh, I don't know what was happening there. But isn't it amazing that the very first thing the Lord of all says in the Gospel of John is, what do you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? What are you thinking about? What, what, what's on your heart? Why are you coming toward me? What are you looking for? Uh, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Very interesting question, right? Where, where, like, where's your house or where are you staying? What's going on there? Jesus says, come, he replied, and you will see. Uh, this is our memory verse of the day. Come and you will see. Come and you will see. John 1.39. Ready? Come and you will see. John 1.39. Such a great verse. Such a great reminder of what we are calling out to people around us. Come and you will see. So you can see what happened here. It says, so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Uh, so you see what's happening. There's a proclamation. John the Baptist says to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God it takes away the sin of the world. And they basically say, okay, if this is the one that you're talking about, he's the one that we should be following. They go and they begin to follow Jesus. So the message was the Lamb of God through this proclamation, and the result was follow Jesus. Scripture says they, they immediately got up and they began uh, to follow him. Uh, the second person that we meet was uh, Simon Peter. Uh, Simon Peter followed Jesus. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John the baptizer had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is, when translated, is Peter. Uh, so you notice what happened. You know, Andrew only shows up like three times in the Gospels, and every one of those times, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. You know, when we get to the loaves and the fishes, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, you know who brought that little boy to Jesus? Andrew. So Andrew's got that in him. Uh, he wants to tell his brother. So he goes to his brother, Simon, and he says, I want you uh, to meet uh, Jesus. Uh, and we, we have found the Messiah. Uh, he knew what he was about. He knew that they uh, had been long awaiting him. So Andrew goes to his brother and says, I, I just want you to know. Can't, I mean, I read it with enthusiasm, but I'm sure I can't even express the enthusiasm that he went to his brother and said, and sometimes your brother, you know, I don't know, how, how would your brother respond? He'd probably say, you're nuts. But he goes to his brother. He's got a burden on his heart. He's seen. He spent time with Jesus. Uh, the approach here is personal. It's like a personal contact with him, with his brother. And the message, we found the Messiah. And the result, follow Jesus. Same thing. It says he, he went and he followed him. And that's the assumption there in the scripture. The response was that he has a face-to-face. -face. Peter has a face-to-face -face encounter, and he's given this new name. Uh, he recognizes, Jesus recognizes something in him, something that is in Peter. Uh, you know, I think it's amazing. You know, we don't read the, you know, we don't read in the Bible the book of 1 Simon. You notice that? We read 1 Peter. 
Uh, he changed his name. He transformed uh, who he was. Um, so he went to him and he offered this personal witness. Uh, the scripture continues. We meet Philip in verses 43 and 44. Uh, we can see uh, how Philip was there. It says, um, tells us that uh, the, the next day again, there it is, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, what kind of approach was this? It's like a, I'd say this is like a cold contact. You know, it's just an opportunity. Had Jesus and Philip ever met? It doesn't look like it. Uh, it looks like, and there was nobody bringing him to Christ the way that Andrew brought Simon. He just has this encounter uh, with Jesus and an opportunity where the Spirit of God speaks to him. Can God call people with, with, without somebody kind of leading them there? Uh, you know, most of the time he uses us, but sometimes God just speaks in people's life. Maybe there's some of you in this room uh, that have been called like that. Just, a, just in a cold way, the Spirit of God was speaking to him and brought him, and Jesus says directly to him, follow me. That was the message. And what was the result? The re result was that immediately he followed him. No recruiting, no campaign promises, no nothing. He just said, come, would you follow me? And the response implied there is that Philip did follow him. So we had a witness, and now we have followers. Andrew, John, Simon, Peter, uh, Philip, and finally Nathaniel in this scripture, 45 to 51. You can see this uh, unfold. Once again, this is a personal moment. Nathaniel is called by God, um, recognizing the word of God in his heart, moving in him, and the spirit of God uses Philip to lead Nathaniel to become a follower of Jesus. It was personal. Um, this whole picture of Nathaniel under the fig tree, you know, that imagery is used of a person that was studying the word of God. Uh, so many times, you know, they didn't have uh, places, many places all to, to go. They would go out and they would sit under a fig tree in the shade and be studying uh, the scripture. Many times the, the early part, the Pentateuch, which would be the first five books of the Old Testament, or even the Talmud, which was kind of like a commentary on the scripture. And so a lot of people believe that's kind of what the image there is. Nathaniel is studying the word of God and somebody comes to him and says, you know, this one that you've been studying about, he's here. He arrived. He's the answer. And that's how Nathaniel uh, comes uh, to follow uh, Christ. So, like all of them, we've, we've all been called to, to, by others. How many of you would say in this room that you know Christ today because of somebody in your life or maybe some bodies in your life that influenced you for Jesus? It would almost have to be everybody in the room, wouldn't it? A few of you might have got there on your own. Maybe you didn't have somebody. But most people come to Christ because somebody cared about them. Somebody said, I know where the Savior is. I know where he's staying. I've been with him. I met him. He transformed me. He healed me. He's worked in my life. Come and see. Come and see. You know, that's, that's our challenge, isn't it? To follow Christ, but to also tell others, come and see. 
We're invited by a brother or a friend to some place where Jesus is staying. Who we, we came with curiosity. We came to see. We came to know this one about whom so much is claimed. Yet only in our own personal encounter, only personally with Jesus, do we come to know and to follow him. Uh, have you become a follower of Jesus saturated by him, hearing his word, allowing his character, his person to be able to live in you and to cause you to be like him. We are called to be followers, to experience his love, to be known by him. We have a place. We have a place that we belong. We are in the father's family. We, we have a seat at his table. Communion reminds us. Someone called us. Somebody said, come and see. Maybe it was in a church service, or maybe it was a preacher, or a Sunday school teacher, or a person in your life, a person in the youth group, a, a youth pastor, someone that encouraged you, or led you. Maybe somebody said, come and see. Maybe it was your parents, or your grandparents, or somebody that you came along in your life that encouraged you. Maybe it was a brother, or a sister, or a friend, or a coworker, somebody in your life that said, come and see. Because we, you know, none of us can get to him secondhand. Nobody can do it for us. You can't make it on your grandmother's salvation. You have to experience it for yourself. You have to be invited to come. We must come to know and meet the one and only Jesus. And that's our calling to be his followers, to, to recognize him. People came with all kind of experiences here. These were all kind of different men. But we see that they were all invited. Look, the Lamb of God. Come and see. Uh, several things. Um, ha have, you, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? I'd love to invite you to dinner today. <laughs> this dinner. Because I don't get to send out the invitations. He provides the invitation. If you know Christ, you're welcome at his table. As I'm finishing, if you're serving, would you, would you come and join us? Those that are going to serve. The second thing I'd like to say to you is, uh, who, who's coming to Christ because of you? Who's being influenced because of you? You know, we not only get to respond and be followers of Jesus, but we get to say to our brothers, to our friends, to the people around us, come and see. Today, as we take communion, uh, we have married couples uh, that are serving uh, for us today here and in the balcony. Uh, we're going to pray together before you serve, so if you just hold just for a second there. But one thing I wanted you to remind you of um, you know, to, as we pray for our elements today, I'd like to pray for our marriages as well. You know, Jesus will transform your marriage if you would welcome him into the intimacy of, of your relationship with each other, praying together, believing together. I'm so happy for many of you that are able to come and worship together here. I know some of you come alone or some of you are single, but it's so important that our marriages be strong, right? So uh, today, as these men and women represent couples in our church, uh, some of them have never served communion before, first time. Thank you so much for doing that today. Uh, but I want you to think about 
uh, maybe your own marriage today as we pray. And that you not only invite Christ into your life, that you not only be a follower, but that you would follow him together. Could we pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of communion. And we anticipate what you're doing in these moments. First of all, if there's somebody in this service that is saying yes to Jesus, yes to your invitation to turn away from our old self, to repent of our sins, and to welcome Christ into our life. Lord, today I pray that you would bless a man or a woman, a young person that would be making a decision like that. Or a person watching on live stream today that is sitting on the couch or at their kitchen table. Today could be the day. Lord, while we're praying, I pray that they bow their head and trust you right now, personally. Lord, today we pray for our marriages. A lot of times we think about marriage because it's February and Valentine's and all that, but we're not thinking about that, Lord. We're thinking about how you can transform our homes, work in our marriages. Lord, maybe there's some really strong marriages represented here today, couples that love Jesus together, and I thank you for them. Just pray you continue that process of growing together and serving together, and their marriages will get stronger and stronger. Maybe there's some marriages represented here today, Lord, that are not as strong. There's some struggles, some brokenness. But I'm so glad, Lord, that we can welcome you into our brokenness. And you heal our hurts. And you forgive us. And you help us to forgive each other. And you take what the world might say is a hopeless situation and you turn it into something beautiful. Pray as we come to your table today that you would heal our marriages as we're being served by these couples today. May it be a reminder to us. Finally, Lord, we pray for these elements and we pray that you would use them, this bread and juice, to draw us close to you today and to remind us that there are, not, there are some people that are not at the table that we can go and say, come and see. Bless us as we eat together now in Jesus' name. These young men and women will serve us and if you just hold the bread and juice until we take together.
I've heard your call. I've heard what you said. Somebody invited me, and I'm going to follow you. And I'm not, I'm not just in it for a short term. No turning back. I realize who I am, who I'm not, and who you are. And, I'm gonna, and I've decided to follow Jesus. This chorus says, where he leads me, I will follow. take communion. Sing that one more time. Just that little chorus part. thinking about you're following him, but maybe also you're thinking about who needs to come and see? Who needs to be reminded? Who do you need to be the witness for? Come and see. Come and hear. Come and meet him. Let's stand together. Go back. Let's go back to the other one. A little more boldly. I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 Jesus did. Those people that we talked about today and some others, the 12 gathered at a table. And Jesus said, this bread represents my body, broken, given for you. He said, I want you to eat this in remembrance that I gave my life for you. 
this is why I want you to follow me because I've given everything for you. Would you give yourself to me? Let's eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for us. Likely, he passed around a common cup. We don't do that here. We each have a cup, but it really represents the one cup, the cup of suffering that he took upon himself. We drink grape juice, looks like blood. It's a symbol, it's a reminder of the blood of Christ for us. Somebody said, come and see, and you came, and you see, and eternity is different because of the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven because of what he's done. Today, we drink this in remembrance that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, for your soul. Drink this and be very thankful. All right, one last thing. Um, about a month from now, March the 3rd, uh, we are going to be at John 3.16. That day, we're going to talk about that one verse. So you have a month from now, a month, to think about, come and see. Let's invite friends to our John 3.16 day. Let's say to them, uh, come and see. So we're going to have a great day. We're going to have a day of hospitality. We're going to make it. We're going to have coffee and donuts and all kind of, I don't even know what we're going to do for sure yet, but we're going to have a fun, you know why? Because I don't usually pull all that off. I got to get somebody else to help me do that. So wouldn't that be great? Would you commit to me, with me? Let's invite some friends here, okay? Uh, maybe you're commonly inviting people to church. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you hadn't invited somebody to church in a long time. Month from today, on March the 3rd, is our Invite a Friend Day. Let's invite people to come and see. Will you do that with me? God bless you. Have a wonderful day.